0: Psalm 132, our Bible study of the Psalms, which means we don't have all that many left. But Psalm 132. All right, so we'll start here with our summary statement. Psalm 132 asks the Lord to remember David. and rests all of Israel's hope in his faithfulness to fulfill his covenant. I'll go over that one more time. Psalm 132 asks the Lord to remember David and rests all of Israel's hope in his faithfulness to fulfill his covenant. Uh, A simple outline for the psalm is in two parts. So in verses 1 to 10, we have David's oath. And in verses 11 to 18, we have Yahweh's oath. So I'll go over that again, verses 1 to 10, David's oath, and verses 11 to 18, Yahweh's oath. All right, so we'll go to our observations. Uh, psalm 132 is an anonymous psalm. You can see the superscription there, just a song of degrees. Uh, the superscription has no author attribution to it, uh, no, no author Uh, is identified in the text. David is mentioned, but he's not the author of the psalm, obviously. Um, There's no musical direction that is given. We've talked about the word song as it appears here in in the heading of all of these psalms of ascent. And uh, other than that, there is two references in this psalm to shouting or singing for joy. Um, But beyond that, there's no, no further musical direction. There's no occasion that is given for the writing of the psalm. Um, So we really don't know when it was written, by whom it was written. Um, There are two events that are referred to in the psalm, um, but these are obviously, these were not when the psalm was written. Uh, But the psalm does refer to the return of the Ark of the Covenant and God's covenant with David. And that is the the main um, point or, or theme of the psalm. To categorize, Psalm 132 is a psalm of ascent. And so the psalms of ascent begin with Psalm 120 and go through Psalm 134. So this, that makes this one the 13th of the 15 in that group here in Book 5 of the psalms. So um, this psalm has, uh, typically I, I, when I categorize these psalms of ascent, um, I refer to the Psalm of Ascent as the major category and then you know do some minor ones, but really it's kind of hard to call these minor in this psalm. Um, so these are other um, sort of categoric um, elements. Um, it is a messianic psalm, uh, a kingly psalm. It is a Zion psalm. It is prophetic predictive, and it is also a petition or a prayer psalm, as you do have direct address, prayer requests made to God. So Psalm 132, it does connect with the other Psalms of Ascent. We've talked about how this group of Psalms functions and, and works together. Uh, there's actually sort of a flow that goes through across the group of Psalms and um, some major themes in, in this group of Psalms, like that of waiting and hope, which relate to um, exile and the hope of future redemption and restoration, uh, particularly the, re- the restoration of Zion and the restoration of the house of David. And so these are, are themes that are connected throughout um, this whole group of Psalms. And so this, this psalm actually has all of those um, elements to it. Particularly in the Psalms of Ascent, it connects with Psalm 122. And it, and it almost, it's almost like it pairs with it in a lot of ways. Because in Psalm 122, you have another Psalm not written by David um, that mentions David in in the text, just like this does. But more specifically, Psalm 122 refers to the house of David and to the throne of David. And house by house uh, is meant dynasty. And um, that's also in this particular Psalm. So there's a strong connection between them. Outside of the Psalms of Ascent, this uh, Psalm's. Connects very strongly with Psalm number 89. Now, Psalm number 89 that ends book three of the Psalms is that great lament about how that the house of David has fallen. And it seems like that God has forsaken his covenant with the house of David. So it is a, it's a painful lament at the end of, of three books of the Psalms And so this psalm functions in a lot of ways like an answer to that psalm, and it reinforces um, a a response here looking forward to the restoration of the house of David and the throne and the crown, and all of those things are in this psalm just like they are in Psalm 89. Outside of the psalms, uh, just mainly because of the events that are referred to in the psalm, this psalm connects with Second Samuel chapters six and seven, where there, David was bringing back the ark, um, and then the uh, prayer in Second Chronicles chapter six, verses forty-one to forty-two, which I believe is when they brought the ark into the um, into the temple, if I remember correctly. Um, so it, it has that connection uh, there: the ark of the covenant and the Davidic covenant as as well in Second Samuel chapter seven. So the poetic features of Psalm one hundred and 32. Um, the psalm uses a, a covenant oath motif, so we have a word for covenant, we have this word for oath or um, sw- uh, swearing or sworn, um, uh, vowing, uh, translated a few different ways. Um, so there's there's a, in this covenant oath motif in this psalm, you actually get a comparison and a, and a contrasting um, in the first part of the psalm, just as, as I talked about, it's why I outlined it the way I did. In the first part of the psalm, you have David's oath. So David takes an oath or, or swears an oath or takes a vow on himself that he's going to build a house for the Lord. Um, and then in the second part of the psalm, you have Yahweh's oath, which is he's responding to David's oath, and he's essentially saying, no, that's not going to happen, but let me tell you what I am going to do. And so he makes promises to David that we'll look at as we, as we look at the psalm. So, there's sort of a comparison between a lesser to a, a greater. So, you get sort of that ascending movement, which, which we've. It's interesting how in these Psalms of Ascent, um, many of them use um, poetic devices that actually, in, in the literary um, structure and text of the Psalm, actually mimics that upward sort of movement. And we get that in this Psalm as well, because we go from a lesser vow that David makes up to the greater vow. That Yahweh makes, and obviously then uh, the fulfillment of that envisioned at the very end of the psalm, uh, we also get some poetic expressions um, in this psalm, so you get you get expressions that are sort of slightly hyperbolic, they're, they're, they're sort of like overstatements in a sense. Um, you know, David says something about i 'll give no sleep to my eyes," and, and that sort of thing. Um, so we have some of that. We also have a lot of repetition in this psalm. And that repetition is is really sort of the key t- that's tying together the two parts of the psalm. So the oath of David and, and the oath of the Lord. As you look at those in the psalm, you, if you would sort of isolate them, you're going to see a lot of repetition um, between those. So showing how that, that it's sort of a it's sort of a almost a call and response um, that Godway makes to David. But there's repetition of several terms: mighty God of Jacob, uh, dwelling place, rest, clothing. Um, shout for joy, David, anointed, uh, swearing or vowing, um, and and some others. So there's a lot of repetition in the psalm that's that's used to hold it together. All right, so we're going to work our way through this psalm, uh, 18 verses, which is uh, pretty long as to what we've been looking at lately, um, but 18 verses. I want to go ahead and read through this. Lord, remember David and all his afflictions. How he sware unto the Lord and vowed unto the mighty God of Jacob. Surely I will not come into the tabernacle of my house nor go up into my bed. I will not give sleep to my eyes or slumber to mine eyelids until I find out a place for the Lord an habitation for the mighty God of Jacob. Lo, we heard of it at Ephrathah. We found it in the fields of the wood. We will go into his tabernacles. We will worship at his footstool. "'Arise, O Lord, into thy rest, thou in the ark of thy strength. "'Let thy priests be clothed with righteousness, "'and let thy saints shout for joy. "'For thy servant David's sake, "'turn not away the face of thine anointed. "'The Lord has sworn in truth unto David, "'he will not turn from it. "'Of the fruit of thy body will I set upon thy throne. "'If thy children will keep my covenant and my testimony "'that I shall teach them, "'their children shall also sit upon thy throne forevermore. "'For the Lord hath chosen Zion.' He hath desired it for his habitation. This is my rest forever. Here will I dwell, for I have desired it. I will abundantly bless her provision. I will satisfy her poor with bread. I will also clothe her priests with salvation, and her saints shall shout aloud for joy. There will I make the horn of David to bud. I have ordained a lamp for mine anointed. His enemies will I clothe with shame, but upon himself shall his crown flourish. All right, so in verses 1 and 2, we get the opening of the psalm we get this opening direct address prayer lord remember and this word for remember um it, it is a request that is seeking remembrance or honoring of covenant obligations now when we talk about covenant obligations the, these are um not obligations that um anyone has put on god these are obligations he has taken on himself because he has made promises to David. And so that's, that's the emphasis of this remembrance. And uh, you can see it used that similarly in uh, Psalm 111 and verse 5 and Psalm 115 and verse number 12. Um, David is mentioned as being remembered. Uh, obviously, he's, he's not the author again like we saw in Psalm 122. And it, it particularly refers to his afflictions, to his troubles, to his sorrows. And we saw, uh, particularly in the early part of the Psalms in book one, we saw a number of laments as David was um, facing uh, persecution. He had enemies that were, that were seeking to kill him. And, and um, when David is praying in these laments, it's not just because he's having a particularly hard time, but, but because he, he is the anointed um, of God. He's the one that has received these promises um, from God, and you know, for him to die that way um, would essentially um, make the word of God to, to fail. And so he, he has all those laments. And in verse um, 2 is where we actually get the beginning of David's oath, of his vow to the Lord. And this reference to the mighty God of Jacob um, actually is quite rare um, in the Old Testament as a as a title or reference to God. Um, but every time it is it is used in the context, it is a covenantal reference to Israel. Uh, Genesis 49 uh, 24, uh, Isaiah chapter 1, verse 24, chapter 49, verse 26. Isaiah chapter sixty and verse sixteen, and besides that, these two times here in this psalm are the only times that that particular title or reference is made. And again, every time, it is that strong covenantal reference to Israel. So in verses three to five, now we have the sum of David's vow. What was it that David vowed? What was the oath that he that he took to the Lord? Uh, essentially, he he vowed that he wouldn't rest. You know, I, I'll not rest until he builds a house for the Lord. That was, that was um, a mission he had taken on himself. And he's particularly referring to a dwelling place, a rest, a resting place for the Ark of the Covenant, um, wanting wanting the Ark to be settled and to be rested in a place and for God's presence um, to be with them. Uh, that, that was what David was seeking after. Now, verses 6 and 7 actually refer to the finding of the Ark. And so these are the... Uh, the passage in Second in, uh, Samuel um, uh, chapter 6 and 7 when they, they bring the ark back and whatever. Um, the finding of the ark, it, it, and that's actually, there's a reference in First Samuel chapter 7 and verse 2. Um, they found it at Ephrathah, which uh, is of the village of, of Kiriath-Yearim. Um, that's referred to again in First Samuel chapter 7 and verse 2. And when you study that out, I think it was there about 20 years um, before David actually brings it to Jerusalem. And then we get the expression there of the longing, of the desire to go into the Lord's house, that, that this is something that was, that was truly on David's heart and mind, that he, he wanted um, the ark to, to be resting in Jerusalem, the place that, that God had chosen, um, and to be able to enter into the Lord's house and to worship before him. That was uh, his desire. And then we get in verses 8 to 10 um, the words of this prayer. David's desire for Yahweh to come into his house, the idea of rest there, um, conveys the thought of completion. So for God, David, the desire was for the Lord, you might say, to enter finally into his house, to to be at rest. In other words, this would mean all Israel's enemies are conquered, um, their peace is secured with God dwelling with them. That's the idea of, of rest. Now, he also plays off of finding a resting place for the ark at the end of the conquest, which we see referenced in places like Deuteronomy chapter 12 and verse number 5. This was a part of the conquest as Moses was talking to that second generation of Israel on the plains of Moab before they go into the promised land. They want to find a resting place for the ark, that, that God's name and his presence is established and dwelling among his people. Now, we get an appeal here also to the promises to David. Now, David was the Lord's anointed, and so we've got one reference to the anointed, and that is the word for Messiah, which essentially means the anointed one. Um, David was the Lord's anointed, but David also was prefiguring the greater anointed son of David that was to come, and and by all indications of what we have of David's writing and the things that were said about David in, in the New Testament, David knew that he he recognized that he understood that um, that his uh, even when God made the covenant with David, uh, he promised David, you know, you're you're going to be laid to rest with your fathers. You're not. This is not. You're not going to be the one that is that's going to. Um, bring in or or receive the fulfillment of these promises it's going to be of your descendants and that's part of the part of what this psalm is about so the prayer then is essentially not don't let the promises to david fail and now that and that really reminds us again of psalm 89 uh, that horrible lament um about the falling of the house of david so then when we get to verses 11 and 12, now we get now we get this turn because now we're looking at Yahweh's oath to David. So this is his response. And if and when you read uh in in 2nd Samuel chapter 6 and 7, uh David did want to build the house and essentially the the Lord responded to that saying, "No, you're not going to build me a house. I'm going to build you a house." Is basically what um the Lord responded to David. So um Looking at Yahweh's oath here, the Lord has sworn in truth unto David and he will not turn from it. We sort of get, we sort of get a double affirmation here. Um, what it means is, is that uh, the word for truth there, emet, which just it's completely trustworthy. And to say that he will not turn from it is essentially saying it's unbreakable. That it, it is unbreakable. In other words, if God has made a covenant like he did with David, well, only God can break it. David can't break it. I mean, David can't cause the covenant to be annulled. Um, Only God can break it, but he has sworn that he will not turn back from it. So it it is unbreakable, um, irrevocable um, covenant. And the, the, the substance is that David's descendant, he says, of the fruit of thy body will I set upon thy throne. David's descendant will be set. And that word um, that word, it means to put to place and and it can, um, have the, the idea of, of, of a sort of an official, you know, placing or, or putting or an enthroning, um, of a king. David's descendant will be set on his throne. And as you go on through this Psalm, as as we uh, look at it and we'll talk about it, where is this? It's in Jerusalem. It's in Zion. And, And that is plain in this Psalm. And it's plain elsewhere uh, where we have references like Psalm 45 and verse 6, Psalm 89 and verse 4, uh, verses 29 and 36 and 44 there in Psalm 89, and Psalm 122 and verse number 5. In other words, where is David's throne? It's not in heaven at the right hand of God. It's in Jerusalem, in Zion, where God will set his anointed son king, just as he promised, and we, we read about all the way back, Psalm 2 and Verse number six. Now we do get this. Verse number twelve is one that um, sometimes is, is problematic um, to, to understand. Um, if you know, if if your children, he says, if thy children will keep my covenant and my testimony that I shall teach them, their children also shall also set up on thy throne forevermore. Well, we know that that didn't happen. So, what does that do to the what does that do to the covenant? Well. This is, we could say that this is sort of a conditional aspect and what you have to understand about what this promise is. What this promise is, is that this was a promise to David that if his sons after him would keep God's covenant, by that referring to the old covenant, the the law and, and such, if they would keep this covenant, they would walk in his ways. He told David he would have, essentially what this promise means is you will have an unbroken dynasty all the way to the Messiah, all right? So that's that's essentially what this promise means. If if his sons would keep that covenant and would walk in his ways, there would be an unbroken line of son after son after son after son of David until finally the Messiah sat on David's throne, okay? Well, they didn't keep that, um, that's, and that's part of what the lament of Psalm 89 is all about. They didn't. They didn't keep that. So what does that do to the? What does that do to the covenant? Well, it doesn't change God's covenant. What it does is that it shows they were they were not faithful. So the dynasty was broken, and this is this is um, referred to in different ways. Um, you know, one of one of the uh, images that Isaiah likes to use is that is that stump. It's it's like um, the, that the house of David was like a plant. Um, a tree or, or something, and and it was cut off at the ground. And I think even in some places it, it's burned. You know, it's charred. Um, so it's it's dead, and and there's no hope. But then the the messianic prophecies says there's going to be a shoot that's going to come forth from this dead, burnout, dried up old stump of David's house. One of the other images that's used is like a Uh, is like a a, a tent or a booth that's just fallen in, like you just think of a house that's just sort of fallen in on itself. So these are some of the images that are used to speak of this. So, So the dynasty was broken. And what this means in this promise in God's covenant with David is that the dynasty then is not going to be restored until the Messiah. But when it is restored with the Messiah, it will from that point on be forever unbreakable. He will never fail to have a son on his throne because the Messiah, Christ, will be on that throne forevermore. Well, then we get to verses 13 to 16 where, uh, again, where where we know David's throne is um, because Yahweh has chosen Zion, we're told. Um, we see references to Zion. we looked at a number of Zion Psalms, Zion mentioned in Psalm 2 and verse 6 and um, other, many, many, many other places. And then he begins to enumerate all these blessings from Zion. So when when David's house, when his dynasty is restored and his throne is restored and on that throne is set the anointed son of David, then all these blessings are going to flow from Zion to Israel. That's, that's what he's talking about here, um, the... Uh, Um, the provision, the bread, the priests, all of these, all of these things. Now you get to verses 17 to 18. Now we have the conclusion of of this particular Psalm. These are all about David's son, the one that will fulfill this. And so we get the reference here to the the horn of of strength of David. Um, So the horn is the strength of David when the Messiah restores the glory of David's house. Um, The you have that saying there that, that the horn will bud. And essentially, that word means that it, that it will branch. It will branch. And so, obviously, um, we have reference to prophecies Isaiah 4 2, Jeremiah 23 5, 15, Zechariah chapter 3, verse 8. Chapter six, verse twelve. All these are messianic prophecies about the branch, about the shoot, about the bud that is going to come from the the again the burned and and charred um, dead stump of David. Now, there's another interesting reference here when he says that he he has ordained a lamp for mine anointed. So, um, essentially, the the reference there, uh, you can see. A similar reference in First Kings chapter eleven and verse thirty-six. Essentially, it's a reference to an heir. So there, this this has been appointed. You know, he will um, have this heir to the throne, just as God has promised. Even though they are in a broken um, dynasty. Um, then we get this reference to clothing the enemies with shame. Now, we previously saw reference to the clothing again. This was clothing with salvation, clothing with righteousness. Um, and now clothing with shame. And essentially that is a reference, obviously, to defeating of the enemies. And if you think in if you look back at Psalm 89 and verse 42, the enemies temporarily triumphed that the house of David had fallen. And then we get the reference to the crown that it will flourish, or it'll be made bright, or it will shine, it will be resplendent. Um, and this is the same word that's used in Psalm 89 and verse 39 to talk about the crown that had fallen into the dust. So you get a little bit of a of a of a subtle death and resurrection imagery into the into the dust to um, the shining. All right, so let's go to interpretation. So Psalm one hundred and thirty-two teaches that Israel's hope is completely bound up in God's promises to David and the restoration of his house through his anointed son. So if you think back to the covenant with David, 2 Samuel chapter 7, um, we have a few promises that that come from there. Uh, A forever kingdom with David's descendant in verse 12. A forever throne of an unbroken reign in verse 13. National Israel in their land, in peace, verse number 10. And obviously that has an implication. It's implicit. If Israel is in their land at peace, what does that mean? That means they're at peace with all the nations of the earth. And therefore, all the nations of the earth are being blessed, which is Uh, all the way back to Genesis chapter 12 and God's covenant with Abraham. So also, you you read the response there in in verse 19 of 2 Samuel 7. It talks about that time to come, that that this is going to happen in a far future time. It's not going to happen with David. It's not going to happen with Solomon. Now, there are aspects of what God talks about there to David that apply to David and apply to Solomon, um, but not all of it. Um, and this ultimate fulfillment that is talked about is is going to is going to be in that far time to come that is referenced there in second Samuel seven so again david's sons didn't didn 't keep the old covenant, um, but God will keep his covenant with David um, through david's son the Messiah. Now the messianic hope of this psalm is seen through the fulfillment of these promises in Jesus Christ. So um, one thing to note is how that um, Peter, for instance, in Acts chapter number 2 referred to the fact that David spoke of Christ, of of the anointed Messiah, of of his anointed son who was to come. So uh, Acts chapter 2 verses 25 to 36, "...for David speaketh concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is on my right hand that I should not be moved." Therefore did my heart rejoice and my tongue was glad. Moreover, also my flesh shall rest in hope. In other words, remember, God told him, you're going to rest with your fathers. You're going to die, in other words. You're going to be buried. And David says, no problem. My, my flesh, my body is going to rest in hope because there's a resurrection coming. Because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Thou hast made known to me the ways of life. Thou shalt make me full of joy with thy countenance. So he's quoting from Psalm 16. And Peter says, Men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his sepulcher is with us unto this day. Therefore, being a prophet, it's not about David, being a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ. Now again, in the New Testament, Christ is the same as this word for anointed that we see here, Messiah. It's where we get Messiah from is this word, the Hebrew word uh, that has been translated anointed right here. And Christ or or Christos in the the Greek term means anointed one. It is completely equivalent. So it's the same thing. He knew that, that he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. He, seeing this before, spake of the resurrection of Christ that his soul was not left in hell neither his, or the grave, neither did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus hath God raised up, whereof we all are witnesses. Therefore being by the right hand of God exalted and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he hath shed forth this which ye now see and hear. For David is not ascended into the heavens, but he saith himself, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand, until I make thy foes thy footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom ye have crucified both Lord and Christ, or Lord and Messiah, Lord and Anointed One. Now we have um, prophecies before the birth of Jesus Christ. So, so Luke chapter 1, verses 32 and 33. He shall be great. And shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. Uh, if we go to the um, on, on down later there in, in Luke 1, verses uh, 68 to 79. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he hath visited and redeemed his people And hath raised up an horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spake by the mouth of his holy prophets, which hath been since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all that hate us, to perform the mercy promised to our fathers, and to remember his holy covenant. The oath which he swore to our father Abraham that he would grant unto us that we being delivered out of the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. And thou, child, shalt be called... This is a reference to John the Baptist's Zechariah's prophecy. Thou, child, shalt be called the prophet of the highest, for thou shalt go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways... To give knowledge of salvation unto his people by the remission of their sins. Through the tender mercy of our God, whereby the day spring from on high hath visited us to give light to them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. So one other aspect, messianic aspect of of this psalm, is that in this psalm you get a blending of David's Lord and David's son. Now you saw reference to that back in the passage I read there in Acts but Jesus also referred to that when speaking to the Pharisees. So Matthew chapter 22, verses 41 to 46. While the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them, saying, What think ye of Christ, Messiah, anointed one? Whose son is he? And this is, this is the Pharisees responding. They say unto him, Son of David. That's a very easy answer to someone that knows the Old Testament. Well, he's the son of David. That's simple. That's simple. Jesus responds, he saith unto them, how then doth David in spirit call him Lord? David writing under the inspiration of the spirit, he's referring to Psalm 110, how does he call him Lord? That's what he says. The Lord said unto my Lord, sit thou on my right hand till I make thine enemies thy footstool. If David then call him Lord, how is he his son? And no man was able to answer him a word, neither durst any man from that day forth ask him any more questions and here in this psalm we get that we get that same david's lord and david's son and the only way that this could be fulfilled is if david's son is david's lord is god in the flesh all right let's go to application i have two of these sort of um how we as modern readers read this psalm and 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 um how it helps us. So, number one, understanding Psalm 132 should really help our faith be strengthened. This Psalm makes it unquestionable that all hope rests on the sovereignty and the faithfulness of God. If God is not sovereign to do what he has said he will do, or if God is not faithful to do what he has said he will do, then we are all without hope. We're all without hope. Not just Israel. We're all without hope. Number two, understanding Psalm 132 helps us understand how that God will bring about the blessings of Abraham on us. So we go back to Genesis chapter 12, right? When God makes a covenant with Abraham, the beginning of that covenant and he's going to bless all nations of the earth through Abraham and through this seed nation that's going to come from him and Isaac and Jacob. Well, how's that going to happen? Well, it's going to be through his covenant with David and David's son, Jesus Christ. That is how that these blessings of Abraham are going to be fulfilled to us. That's how we're going to enjoy um, and receive those blessings throughout eternity for those um, who trust in uh, Jesus Christ and covenant relationship with him.